Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Saleh. Swara, you said you were going to take it there. Wait, <laughs> can you not hear me? What, what happened? You said you were going to take the intro after you announced your name. <laughs> No, I said like you were going to like introduce the show and oh then I, no I okay sorry we messed this up like <laughs> it's okay just... don't you don't know how many times we mess up things on our show okay, you, wait, a, you asked if you could introduce the topic and so that means you go I'm oh, sorry oh, oh, and today okay. we're joined by our friends from the Sky Talkers podcast gotcha gotcha okay cool I uh, gave up control Suara okay, okay start right, never fine. again right, you never know what, again let, you know what, let me let me just. Or, you know, Stephen, you started better. Let, let's do that again. But we're going with your plan, right? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. <I'm>, thank you. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> this show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Sala, and today we are joined by our friends from the Sky Talkers podcast, Caitlin and Charlotte, to discuss Rey and Kylo's story in The Last Jedi and what their arc in The Last Jedi can teach us about constructive political discourse in our own galaxy. Charlotte, Caitlin, how are y'all doing today? Uh, we're great. We're on a Rebels high right now and just feels really great in Star Wars world right now. Yes, it is a it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. So we're we're living the high life, so we are good. <laughs> and we are really happy to be here. It is truly yeah. quite a time to be alive. Did you imagine a reality in which they were gonna actually acknowledge and come back to the Mortis arc? Oh no. my gosh. <laughs> I can't so I awesome. can't even. It, <laughs> yes, I cannot even too. I feel like I'm still recovering from watching Rebels last night. It was just, I mean, I don't feel like I've ever had such a reaction to Star Wars before. I was just freaking out throughout the whole thing and just absolute disbelief at, was go- at what was going on. It was yeah, it was insane. Yeah. For, for listeners who um, are not caught up with Star Wars Rebels, plug your ears or maybe skip forward just a couple of minutes here. Um, for those who don't have watched Rebels, uh, this might be helpful to you. So, oh my gosh, there's like a multiverse in between the, <laughs> between okay, the galaxy. Not, it's not a multiverse. I'm not saying it's a multiverse, but like it's the episode last night was called The Space in Between Spaces. And I, I don't. I don't possess the vocabulary for these kinds of like sci-fi weirdness topics, but like, it's like another like dimension, like portal to other time. Um, it's, it's the space in between. It's like the upside down. It's crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so Ezra ends up in the space in between spaces by going through a portal into the Jedi temple where he can reach back through portals into the past, maybe the future as well and change events. And he brings Ahsoka out of danger in her battle with Darth Vader. Essentially, y'all, Ahsoka lives. WTF. Not essentially. 
Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it was a mic drop moment, to be sure. Uh, I mean, if anyone knows from Celebration last year, Dave Filoni famously switched his shirt from Ahsoka Lives question mark to Ahsoka Lives exclamation point. So we have all been waiting for this moment, but I don't think I ever expected it to go down like this. <laughs> it was just absolutely insane. Like when the the portal shimmered to life and we are seeing the other part of that battle that we didn't get to see in season two rebels, I was just losing my mind. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that Ezra would be able to reach in and pull her out. I thought it was just a mirror. So when he actually did that, I I was just, I was appalled, like, in a I good was, way. I was, like, like, screaming at the TV, like, pull her out. You can do it. <laughs> I think I was, I was, I was so excited. I was so beyond coherent thought. Like, even now talking about it, I'm like, I don't even know how to describe how I was feeling because, I mean, Ahsoka is, Luke Skywalker is my favorite Star Wars character. Ahsoka and Kylo, like, regularly battle it out for number two. And yeah. right now, Ahsoka's number two just because of last night's yeah. episode. So this moment, I've, I've been waiting for this moment, and I still don't even know how to process my emotions about it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. When I was watching the episode and that moment when Ahsoka was drawn out, I was really shocked. I was just staring at the screen. Um, I could see my face and my uh, computer screen like being blank and uh, like wide eyed. I was like, what did I just watch? Did this really happen? And I didn't know what to make of it at first. And I've been thinking about the episode all day. And as you guys have seen, I've been going back and forth with people on Twitter about it because that's always constructive, right? And yes. uh, <laughs> I just like... I guess like um, I'm I'm really good with this. I'm really good with Ezra being the one to uh, yeah like get help get Ahsoka out of her tight situation right there because it really ties him in to her arc and makes him integral and uh, it just like yeah these things like came together in a really nice way and then he's presented with the choice of uh, saving Kanan who had just uh, died like saving the rest of the Rebels crew. And uh, he and Ahsoka talk about it and like how this would mess up the time stream, how this would, you know, imperil him and the rest of the ghost crew. And it gave me a lot of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban vibes of things like being very directly set in place. And that makes me feel really good about it. It makes me feel like, okay, so they're not simply going to time travel and hopscotch around uh, the time stream saving people. It's still all going to be set. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, I think it grounded again, what Star Wars is, is frankly always been about, which is, uh, people dying and striving for control. Um, or I mean, me more so dying to have control of the world and the universe in which we live, because it's just, it's all out chaos and pain. And, People want to change it and have control of those situations. That's why Anakin became Darth Vader. And Ezra was again like faced with the the Star Wars conundrum. Can I save people from dying? And Mm -hmm. he did that with Ahsoka. And then he had a little bit of a reality check with saving his master Kanan. But, you know, I I loved what they did in last night's episode. I think the only thing in which I'm a little uncomfortable is that they might have opened the Pandora's box on characters being able to come back from their deaths. Yeah, it's a little tough because and I keep going back and forth in my brain about I can't believe that they went there and they brought this in the into the lore of Star Wars. But I'm kind of confident that now the portal is closed and the temple is destroyed, that we won't really 
see this ever again. I don't, I don't really think we will at least. Um, I, I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth about like whether I'm okay with it or not. It, I, I genuinely lean to like, um, I, I am okay with it, but I, I, I do it's, they have definitely opened Pandora's box here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, just what Charlotte says, it can go a lot of different ways, but I like what they did in this episode is that they show you the implications of two different scenarios of messing with the, with the timeline. Um, because, you know, Ahsoka explains to Ezra, if she saves Kanan, then the ghost crew dies. But with Ahsoka's situation there, it like by saving her, it doesn't change anything. Vader's like Vader still was alive. Um, you know, Ahsoka wasn't sacrificing herself because we knew as an audience who's watched the original trilogy that Vader was never going to die in that moment. So if Ahsoka had died, nothing would have come of that. And so by saving her, it doesn't change Vader's storyline at all, which was who she was interacting with in that moment. And we know it doesn't change Ezra's because, you know, he was he went on with his life after that moment on Malachor. So I, th- I like how they compared the two because it gives us knowledge that some things can be changed and some things can't be um, because they're kind of set in stone and they have greater implications for what's coming in the future. Yeah. Right, exactly. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Time Turner rules. And I'm not talking about Cursed Child. I'm just talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> yeah, you're not talking about the Cursed Child. Far, if you would allow me to uh, to uh, seize on an opportunity for a segue here, um, they mentioned something of a conundrum that was sort of presented to Ezra in this space in between. It was something of a compromise that he had to make uh, in seeing that there was not always going to be a way to save every person. And in the case of Canaan, he had to let that one go. And that kind of reminds me of a little bit uh, about our main topic this evening, which is uh, political compromise and the the connection between Rey and Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi. Suari, you mentioned that our main topic tonight is going to be sort of looking to the Ray and Kylo dynamic throughout the new trilogy um, and looking at it as a, a lesson, I think, for our political discourse today. Yeah. So I guess we're going to dive in here into a pretty tough topic and one that's going to require a whole lot of heart and transparency and everyone just kind of letting it all hang out politically. So, <laughs> you know, let's do it. Um, all guests, everybody here. What did you make of the force connection um, that Rey and Kylo Ren established in The Last Jedi? Um, I think let's just talk about like in the context of Star Wars right now. What did you find interesting about that? Because for me, it was my favorite part of The Last Jedi, um, which kind of set me apart from some of my uh, contemporaries who didn't like that very much. Force Skype, as they call it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's my favorite part as well. Um, I love it. I love where that they went there with the force and everything. Um, I also love the relationship formed. Um, it's no secret, Caitlin and I really kind of like the 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 Raylo dynamic, as it's called. Um, and I find it really fascinating, kind of how they they bridge these two like really stark personalities and how they uh, kind of came together in this episode to kind of show in that amazing throne throne room scene, how, when they come together, everything can be accomplished successfully. 
Yeah, I have to agree. Um, obviously, what Charlotte said, we uh, both loved the four Skype sessions. I know the first <laughs> couple times I saw The Last Jedi, I feel like I wasn't, I was just waiting to get back to their scenes. I was so excited yeah. because it's, it's, we've never seen anything like that really in Star Wars before. And to have these two characters who you thought were so diametrically opposed, you know, in the middle of the middle chapter, realize that they're both seeking belonging and they're both facing this like really intense loneliness. Um, and I think Adam Driver says it in some interview that he realizes that they're, they realize that there's just this thin line separating them um, between like who they are and, and where their loyalties lie. Really. I think that was, I think that was really cool and, and really new for Star Wars. It was a new way of looking at uh, like a complicated villain, I think. And I don't think we've really seen a lot of that before. And yeah, I mean, I love yeah, it. Swara, um, kind of over to you. you, you teed up this topic for this evening and kind of came up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you think that there was a political message here that we needed to kind of parse out? Well, I just want to add on my voice on this. I absolutely loved it as well. It was my favorite part of The Last Jedi. And it's no secret, like, Ray's my favorite character. And Kylo, I think, is one of the most bri- the most brilliant villains of all time and the best villain in all of Star Wars. And I really feel like what the Force Connection demonstrated was that you should always have empathy. You should always have compassion and an open mind even to those you most uh, – like uh, strikingly uh, disagree with most vehemently, even like your mortal or your supposed mortal enemy, that there is something still in there that you can connect to because we are all part of the same living force. And this demonstrates so much of what I love about Ray. She is someone who is so compassionate, so empathetic, as we see in The Force Awakens and going into The Last Jedi and having this force connection with Kylo. I really think that she's able to get um, actual insight, like mental uh, psychic insight into what drives him and why he feels so alone and why he feels like the world and his family have abandoned him. And she's able to bond with him over that. I thought that was genuinely very beautiful and emotive and just touching. And like the fact that Ray, my favorite, again, my favorite character was able to make me sympathize with the character I thought I hated most. And it's part of the reason why The Last Jedi is my favorite film of all time. And from this, I really feel as though, especially in our strikingly partisan political times in which we tend to suppose the worst in each other, in which we just don't really want to have an open discussion about these uh, complex and nuanced issues that... um, people in this country uh, have like diverging opinions on, you know, mainly the difference between conservative and liberal. And I just feel as though if someone like Ray, who is someone to aspire to be like, can show us that connection with her supposed enemy, then maybe there's hope for us in the uh, real world as well. Yeah. I think, I think what you're getting at here is just, how much their divide was bridged by sharing physical, what felt like physical space um, in it right. via, mm-hmm. via for Skype. So like, I mean, basically Ray has one picture of Kylo Ren. It's of him committing patricide on a walkway uh, and then engaging her in battle later in the, you know, later in the, the force awakens. And, you know, she, she puts it quite bluntly, you're a monster. Um, 
and Kylo Ren is kind of just like eating that up. He's like looking for that kind of validation for who he is so he can become stronger in the dark side. And you see it all fall apart in The Last Jedi when they're put into a vulnerable situation where they're not posturing to try to be I think the the max light and the max dark, like that's what's going on at the end of The Force Awakens is they are both trying to settle into that blue saber, red saber dynamic because that's what they think they're supposed to do. And then when they're both sitting there in the hut and for a meeting for the first time, it all starts to fall apart. I mean, it's really kind of amazing. And I got to say, I've seen that happen in real life Um quite a few times, particularly with the Huffington Post Listen First project where they put Southern conservatives and California liberals on a Skype session together for an hour. And by the end, it was just like a chummy little group, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a really fascinating uh, session that everyone should look up if they have time. But yeah, that's kind of where my head was at on this. It's, it's kind of an interesting way to look at this topic. Yeah, it's um, it also kind of goes back to a lot of those like romantic <laughs> tropes in movies where you have the two um, like characters who don't like each other, but somehow they get like handcuffed together and they're forced to be together and there's nothing else they can do except mm-hmm. talk to each other. Yeah. And then they realize that, Oh, you know, you're not as bad as I thought. Um, and I feel like that, I mean, that goes directly with what you were saying, Stephen, about spend enough time together. And you realize that at the end of the day, we all want the world to be a better place. Um, Mm. and how we go about that is different and there are different opinions and different ways to do that. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I really liked, I want to go look that up now (laughs) on the Huffington Post. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. And I think the one thing that we can't really account for like politically, you know, just to kind of be, be obvious here is that like, there's no way to take the patricide and the, the kill, like Kylo Ren killing his father and then sort of like translating that over into politics. But like, for the most part, like if we were to yeah, kind of no. look at what Ray saw of Kylo and then how she had to adapt in the in the Last Jedi, maybe we could just sort of supplant patricide with like the killing of the sacred. Han Solo is sort of a sacred figure, and then having to deal with people in our real lives that basically kill our sacred values that, you know, don't care for the values that we hold up higher than almost anything else. And when people right. violate those values in our politics, we do tend to recoil and see them as monsters, um, as something less than human or something subhuman. Um, and I think that, (laughs) I think that's just kind of where we always end up, um, which makes it hard to make this allegory between, uh, Ray and Kylo in real life, but there's something there. Um, Suara, what was, what was your thought on this? Well, yeah, there's something there. There's something, um, in that, understanding that they both want to in their own ways like make the galaxy better make their societies better you know kylo genuinely believes in the mission of the first order he genuinely believes in what snoke has been telling him all of his life um and you know as horrific as the actions are that he takes it's like still comes from a place of obviously there's a sense of wanting to feel secure and powerful but I think you can see through The Force Awakens that to some degree or another, he genuinely believes in the mission. Although I am curious, like Charlotte Kaelin, I've heard on Sky Talkers, I think you guys like sort of go back and forth on that, on whether he actually does genuinely believe that. Charlotte, do you think that Kylo genuinely, 
Do you think he genuinely believes in the mission of the First Order or he's just lost and confused? I think he's lost and confused. I think that he's like kind of forced himself to believe this because it's someplace that he like has a belonging when he, which we know now from the last Jedi that he felt that his uncle wasn't accepting of him. I mean, Ray says, you know, you're a monster. And he said, yes, I am. It's because he's heard his, his entire life. Um, and he's just kind of accepting that because Snoke basically understands that it, he can use the the term I am, you know, you're a monster to his um, best of ability. But I, I do, th- I, I, I just really don't think that Kylo is in the mission of the first order as much as Hux is. And I think that they really do play that dynamic up about how they are two totally separate people. Um, Kylo is, was very much under like Snoke's wing as like, the Knight of Ren and Hux has kind of been the more pragmatic, the more like literal first order, um, general. And I, it only increases throughout uh, the last Jedi as, um, as Hux realizes that more and more that Kylo lets his emotions get the better of him. And I just think that like, even from the fact that, you know, Kylo kind of was arrogant and thinking that in The Force Awakens that he could get the map to Luke Skywalker from Rey instead of get using it BB-8. Even in the novelization, we see him not wanting to use the Starkiller um, base, whatever, canon situation on Hosnian Prime. And um, he, he vehemently dis- disagrees with that. So it's just, it's kind of an interesting look into, I think that Hux is more of the First Order kind of uh, poster child than Kylo. I think Kylo is still trying to find his way and he thinks he's in a place of belonging, but I don't think right. he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly what you said, Charlotte. I mean, they very clearly paint the difference between Kylo and Hux. If anyone should be rolling the first order, it should be Hux. He, you know, like he's very dedicated. And he even says to Kylo a couple of times, you know, don't let your emotions get the better of you, Ren. And they have a chance to completely wipe out the resistance once and for all. And Kylo makes them stop to go confront Luke. Like that's not a decision of a good leader. Who's really invested in the mission of the first order, I think. And for me anyway, I think Kylo thinks he should want to be with the first order, but his Mm -hmm. actions show that he clearly doesn't. And I think where we leave him at the end of the last Jedi is he finally is in a place to make decisions for himself and figure out who he really is because throughout these two movies, we've heard people all talking about who Kylo is and it's never your Ben Solo. It's you have too much Vader in you. You have too much Han Solo in you. You know, the deed split you to the bone. Um, You're too much like your father, like all these things. It's never about who Kylo is or who Ben Solo was. Like he never got to be that person. And I think, I think episode nine is going to be about finally figuring out who he is and I see him going back to Ben Solo and finally taking on that identity. But, you know, it could go a different yeah, way. You know, and I, I've always kind of looked at Kylo Ren um, as the poster child for extremism and falling into terrorism. Um, he's somebody who is looking for belonging overall, and he could not find that in his family, I think, because he couldn't find meaning and and sort of a, a way in which he could be his own man in the, the Skywalker family um, without going his own way way. And I think particularly not having Han Solo around and being kind of the dad that he was looking for kind of factors into that. He's, he's sort of your, I don't know, I guess your, your 
example of sort of your American white nationalist kid or a, a Islamist abroad or somebody who just falls into terrorist groups because they're looking for that tribe. And that's what the first order is. And right. he doesn't, I think he's just there to be there because he needs, he needs something to do and take out his nihilism on. Um, like, like yeah, Steve, he's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Like Stephen, would you say that Kylo feels politically homeless to some degree? Yeah, I mean, I think he he calls bull on all of it. I don't think he believes in it, and he says as much to Ray after he, um, you know, cuts Snoke in half. I think we sort of see that he thinks it's all garbage. But what I don't understand, and what I don't know how to square, is when she says no, that he falls back. Um, into being, you know, ruling king of the first order. I, I kind of thought he was going to like strike out on his own and be like this roguish actor that sort of is like a, a thorn in the side of everyone, um, the first right. order and and the resistance. But he ended up kind of falling back in with what was comfortable at the time. Which again, that I think that is is part of extremism as well. Um, not having many other options and places to go. Um, but not to spend too much time on this, we got to talk a little bit about Ray. And kicking this over to Swara yes, first, do. Swara, does Ray capture the compassion and empathy that's missing in our political discourse? Because, man, is this a kind and loving young lady? <laughs> I mean, yeah, just a kind and loving person, someone that I think, again, anyone should aspire to be like. Watching The Force Awakens and seeing like someone who had grown up in poverty, who had to scavenge to survive, who had to fight off and people like all of her life to protect herself and still being able to have compassion for this little droid that comes by her and takes her on a whirlwind of a mission to save the galaxy. It's just... I, and the thing is, like, it's not never, not once does it feel inorganic, uh, you know, because of the writing, because of Daisy Ridley's extraordinary performance, you genuinely believe that she absolutely cares that she understanding through her own, like, here's the thing about Ray and Kylo, they have both suffered, you know, yeah. Kylo having been in more of an entitled position and Ray being in the like most least entitled position, but they've dealt with it in such different ways. Whereas Kylo has lashed out and where he's tried to um, find a uh, group that he thinks will accept him. And he tries to rise through the ranks of power. Ray remains humble. She remains empathetic. She is able to take her own pain and understand how others feel pain. And she has such a large degree of empathy and understanding of what others have been through. For example, Finn, like her best friend in The Force Awakens. And when she finds out she's a, he's a stormtrooper, she doesn't care she understands that you know like he she believes everything he says that he was taken from his family and that she was the first friend he had ever had and she you know pro, pro, maybe partially through her force ability as well maybe that's her strongest force ability her empathy she's able to relate to him she's able to relate to someone who was once part of the organization they're fighting now and again i want to be like that i think we should all want to be like that She's honestly like the most inspirational figure in all of Star Wars to me, like bar none. And I just feel as though like, again, going back to our political discourse, that 
she serves as the example of, you know, like with, sorry, you go back a little bit, but again, like when I first saw the force awakens and Kylo Ren, and I've discussed this with all of you. I hated him. I thought, Oh, this is the figure, the patriarchal, like toxic person I'm supposed to hate. And Ray is the amazing feminist hero. Who's going to cut him down. And, but the last Jedi completely turned that on its head. And, actually made me feel empathy and compassion for Kylo. And again, that's what Rey's real power is. She is able to cut through all the BS in our political culture. And like, you know, I'm a proud liberal and I stand for like liberal positions on a variety of issues. And I'm always going to vote Democrat. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, I want to have a sense of empathy for what yeah. people who disagree with me go through. I want to understand why it is they think the way they do, because not simply to have compromise, because on a lot of things, I think we're past compromise, but honestly, to make myself a better person, to understand how I can navigate better in this world. And race serves as the example Charlotte of Charlotte and Caitlin, me. do you think that there are downsides to compassion and empathy? Like, do you think that there's a way that it can actually undermine uh, people and also progress at large? Uh, I don't really think so. I think that if you are empathetic and compassionate and selfless, that eventually it'll pay off. I mean, I don't, I I hope that it doesn't undermine anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, in the movie world in star Wars, I think no, in the real world where things are a little different, I think, yeah, to a certain degree, because you have to be careful. I think sometimes compassion and empathy can blur the line with, I guess, being a pushover a little bit Mm -hmm. um, and to be wary of not being taken advantage of. I think your first response. You're right, Kayla. Yeah, I mean, in film world, I think it's, I think compassion should win out (laughs) over um, and not, I think it would be bad for a film to show someone being undermined for their compassion, especially a film that's a family film like Star Wars. Um, But I think in the real world, yeah, you have to, you have to be able to take a step back from a situation if, like, if you're giving your all and you're not getting anything back in return. Right. That's totally fair. And I think, yeah, this is an idealized, fantastical world and it definitely shouldn't be taken so literally. But what do you think there is to learn from Ray's compassion and empathy that she displays in the sequel trilogy? I don't know. I mean, like a great, I think a greater understanding of kind of all people and kind of hearing people out, Mm -hmm. I think, um, trying to understand where they come from, because that's basically the key that Ray found through Kylo is kind of understanding his past and what he had gone through in that in turn made her able to relate to him. And first impressions don't have to be the forever impression of someone. Um, you need, it takes time to get to know someone, and to really know who they are, you can't just go off of your first meeting with someone, especially if it goes as poorly as Ray and Kylo's first meeting. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, like poor Scott isn't gonna do it. <laughs> I'm, if if yeah. we get through the the next movie and we find out that Kylo told a complete version of the truth about his apprenticeship under Luke, I, I'm gonna honestly gonna be a little bit surprised. Like, I think I felt a little bit thrown off that Kylo communes with Ray, tells her one story about his childhood. And she sort of like 
goes into all out crumble, like in terms of her faith of Luke, because she got one story from the, you know, the, the co-master of the first order. I kind of felt like she's a little bit gullible. Now I think, I think the fact of the matter is, is that we were presented with two versions of the story in the middle about what happened between Luke and Kylo. But I don't know. I just sort of feel like maybe her compassion and her seeing good in people can undermine her. And maybe a lot of people just sort of lead people to assume false motives that people don't actually have. While I agree with that to some degree, um, I would argue that the force connection, the nature of it, gave them a direct psychic link so that Ray could actually feel like whether mm-hmm. or not he was lying or whether he was telling the truth. And, you know, like it was a little, obviously a little overwhelming for her, but um, I definitely think that she could tell that he wasn't lying. That's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I have to agree. I think the force, the connection definitely played a degree into that. And also, Darksiders tend not to lie in Star Wars. Uh, we, I, when, I don't know when they really have lied. And I think, too, that moment is so emotionally charged for Rey's own relationship with her family too like there she all she's ever wanted is a family and you know with kylo with when she's yelling at him you know how could you do that you had a family who loved you and in kylo from kylo's point of view is like they didn't love me they sent me away and the person they sent them me away to tried to kill me he's like don't you understand like this is this is why i am the way i am and i don't i don't think he would lie about that obviously his perception of that night is a little different from what actually happened, but I don't think, I don't know if yeah. it's fair to no, call I th- it a I lie think you necessarily. Actually, I think you hit it nicely on the head I mean, because you are right in that darksiders tend to tell the truth. And I think at this point we can, we can go with that. He was giving her his version of events and there's truth to it as far as he sees it. Um, but I would, I would always still fall back on like your, your bad guy in star Wars is the snake in the garden of Eden. It, it tells some truths, but it offers like, it offers like an apple of knowledge or power that that is where the lie sort of lives. And I think with Kylo, he tells truths and I think Palpatine does this as well. And then when he out, when he stretches out his hand is like, come with me, we can rule the galaxy and things are going to be good. Like that's kind of where that's the Apple moment. And that's where, again, like his truth, he's not telling a truth that they're going to like do anything positive. It's just going to be more nightmarish, uh, more nightmarish times for the galaxy because everyone thinks that they can, you know, be God. And in his case, that's sort of him. He wants to be God of the galaxy. That's my Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. I, I guess from my perception, I never, and granted my, my view of, of Kylo is extremely biased. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't view him as a villain and that's, again, that's my yeah. own bias playing into it. So for the, like what, and what you said about like him having that like villain moment of offering to wanting Ray to join the galaxy with him and, you know, kind of like the sneak in the garden, I think that's all right. But it never, it ne- that never factors into my perception of the film because that's not how I view Kylo, and I've never really viewed him as the main yeah. villain of this trilogy. Um, he's always been the complicated, conflicted. So, kid just a quick who question: Who is if if Snoke is now gone? Um, where who who sits as villain now in your mind, or is there a lack of one? Maybe one to emerge. Uh, it's Hux. It's Hux. <laughs> it's totally Hux to me. 
I think, yeah, I think it's Hux to emerge in like a, I guess in like a meta <laughs> moment, it's our uh, assumption of mm-hmm. how the constructs of these movies work that like, Ooh, okay. I like he, that. <laughs> it's like, I mean, in the last Jedi tells us, you know, everything yeah. you think it's not going to go that way. Yeah. And we all came into the last Jedi being like, yeah, Kylo's the villain. But th- for me, I think the movie was tried to tell us to a certain extent, no, everything is not how it seems. This isn't going to be your regular Vader villain. It's much different and it's much more layered than that because you have these past six films to fall back on to see all of the events that fell into place to create this this kid, Ben Solo, and what happened to him. Yeah, and what's really fascinating about that is that so many of us in the political realm, I think, to some degree or another, tend to project our own views on who the empire of the first order represents or who the rebels are. And the last Jedi challenges that it says, Hey, no one's really a clear cut vision, uh, a villain. And, um, the arms dealers are selling to the, both of you guys, you both are perpetuating this conflict. And maybe the message therein is that you need to cut past like the typical, um, discourse and try to understand each other better. And then maybe you can make something more constructive out of that. Totally. So we sort of see in Kylo and Ray that they relate to each other. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, I think fundamentally as like abandoned kids in a way, um, you know, I think, I think Kylo and, you know, Ben Solo, he has a complex about feeling abandoned, even though he wasn't. Um, but that's kind of where they're both coming from is a feeling of loneliness and being abandoned. Um, you mentioned Suara kind of looking at this as like an allegory for people abandoned by our political system or who feel left behind in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you want us to start on that? Because I think it's a, I think it's a fascinating idea and it does hold true because there's, there's so many places in which there are weird overlaps in our, our political society where uh, you could have unlikely allies of people who come from totally different backgrounds, have totally different beliefs, but they have one shared experience, which is alienation. Right. I feel like in both the Democratic and Republican parties, you have a lot of different coalitions going on. You've got you know, for our, for us on the Democratic side, you've got, um, although I feel like we're tending more to the left, more liberal, um, especially as a result of Bernie Sanders, but still you have like the Bernie Sanders supporters along with the mainstream Democrats. And you have, um, people advocating for single payer healthcare who are now starting to, uh, push the conversation in that direction. Like overall in the country, I think that debate settled, uh, but on the Republican side, you've got libertarians, you've got people, <laughs> What? Sorry. Oh, that's just my opinion. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. Um, uh, uh, but, but on, the, on the Republican side, you've got libertarians, you've got, um, people who are culturally conservative, you've got, um, corporate executives, um, you've got a coalition going on there. And I feel like in a lot of ways, what tends to unite us is an opposition to what we don't want from the other side. But, the thing is, we don't always agree with the actions of our own party or, or our own party leaders. So maybe the alienation for some, like I would imagine, you know, personally in our current political context uh, and just based on the news that I consume on the uh, Republican side, that there's a lot of questioning going on with regarding Trump and um, whether 
people are still Republicans because they're simply opposed to what Democrats want to do. So maybe it's the same for like Kylo with uh, Snoke and Snoke is maybe like a Trump-like <laughs> yeah, figure. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching Waco right now, um, the six-part uh, TV series about the, the 1993 cult incident um, regarding the FBI and the ATF. Mm-hmm. And a few things in this series, particularly regarding rural whites, as well as in Homeland on Showtime, reminded me of sort of the weird strands of anti-government sentiment that exist all across this country in different communities. And if I could think of like two groups with seemingly little in common on the surface that have some shared experience and values here as highlighted in Homeland of Waco are like anti-government prepper types and black nationalist groups like Black Panthers and also people in the inner city who deal with deep mistrust of law enforcement and damaging things done by the FBI. And there's this strong uh, embrace of like the right to carry and fight back. And you sort of have everybody here being outsiders politically. And it's this weird area where you get uh, some consensus on things like criminal justice reform, but also just sort of, um, I think, just distrust in the government and belief in things like revolution. And these these groups don't talk to each other. They seemingly vote opposite, but they are about the same in my view. Right. And in regards to the Waco situation, I can also say that like things were like pushed too far as well. And I, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not so good with the political discourse, but I, I do try. <laughs> and um, I, I, I think that's a interesting comparison. No, you're good on that. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Like, but I am curious, like, uh, for the question of compromise, um, like when we get to uh, the uh, like third of the fourth act, four acts of the film in The Last Jedi, um, we see Rey and Kylo in the throne room fight scene and they are able to compromise. They're able to defeat Snoke together and defeat all the Praetorian guards and you have the force theme playing most loudly. So I'm wondering if there, there's a message that, Hey, we're strongest together that though we differ politically or in our views of the force or whatever, that we really need to look past that and actually find what can lift us all up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I definitely think that's the message that they're going for. I'm not even sure at that point if they differ in their views of their, of the force until the end scene. Um, but I, I think that they are both coming together for the same goal in that moment. And it's just very powerful that the force theme plays and it's like the most intense fight that I feel like we've ever seen in the saga. And it's definitely metaphorical for mm-hmm. how, um, two people on two separate sides can come together to accomplish a collective goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think it's kind of funny because I feel like when we talk about these things for the real world, it's like, okay, you you lay down your weapons, I guess, and come together to to talk civilly to each other. But when we see that represented in Star Wars, it's like Rey and Kylo picked up their lightsabers, red and blue, together and killed the real enemy. Yeah, I, I kind of question. <laughs> oh yeah, my sorry, god, I'm going to be sorry. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized red and blue, like Democrat and Republican. I'm going to be a little contrarian here and and say that I don't think Ray and Kylo Ren had a shared goal in that moment. Um, I think Kylo Ren, he had a goal, Mm -hmm. which was to execute a, I'm going to say a man, because I don't know what Snoke is, so I'm just going to fall back on that. 
a being, a man that makes him feel small and belittles him and that he hates and that he wants to have a sort of vengeance on. And he wants to take um, his seat in a way. I think that he wants to exact revenge on Snoke. And I think Ray is looking to get out of this situation and save Kylo from the dark. I don't think that that moment was sort of a, a uniting of goals. I think that they both were uh, defending their lives at that moment, but they had very little in common with what they were going to do at that moment. And it kind of goes back to Sagarera and Mon Mothma. I mean, just because they're both fighting the Empire doesn't mean that they have a goal in mind. Sagarera's goal uh, would have just been to overthrow the Empire, and then there probably would have been tribunals and executions in the street, and Mon Mothma was trying to restore democracy and the Republic um, and go about things, I think, in a, a more uh, democratic manner. So I I don't know. I think that we, we sometimes over overestimate um the intentions of people who fall on who end up on our side mm-hmm. we always have to be wary sometimes of of people's intentions um when we end up on the same side on things i think that's a, a really great comparison actually and i think i think you're absolutely right i don't think ray had her i don't think her goal was to kill snoke i think her, i think she probably would have done it if she needed to and if she could, uh, but I think her ultimate goal was to save Kylo. And I think to a certain degree, she was a little naive in thinking that it would be that easy to just go to the supremacy and be like, Hey, I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> you know, and everything would be good yeah. and hunky dory. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. And in, in that vein, I think she did have a little, a little growing up to do, but I think in that moment, it, it was like, I mean, you're right, kind of saw and Mon Mothma fighting against the Empire. I think you could kind of maybe liken it liken it to Ray and Kylo having a vision of the future. And they've both seen a vision and they're yeah. both convinced that they're both going towards that vision. Kylo says, you know, you're going mm. to stand with me. And Ray says, you're not going to kneel before Snoke. And I mean, he does literally kneel before Snoke, but in the end, he overcomes his oppressor. So I think they were both right to a certain degree, but just not in the way that they thought. Um, and they both thought that they were successful at the end of it. Like Kylo is so certain that Ray would join him. And I think Ray was so certain that he was going to stop the bombing of the resistance. Right. And they both realized that they're not quite there yet. Yeah. And that reminds me a lot of. You know, like sometimes I'll talk to a conservative or Republican friend and um, that would be me. I, I have. Okay, 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 okay. You know what? Yes, it would honestly just be you, Stephen, if I'm being perfectly honest. And <laughs> like, I feel like, no, but still, just generally, I feel like we can all relate to this. You know, like we talk with people who disagree politically from us and we think that hey, there's something, you know, connecting us here that we really agree on in a lot of ways. And then I hear something else or I hear something that's, or you come to a different conclusion that I do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what you're supposed to think. Like, that's my reaction. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) Like, uh, Second Amendment, Stephen. Uh, Anyway, I'm just kidding. Or am I? But um, (laughs) it's like... Yeah, I I guess like, you know, Ray was similarly expecting Kylo to follow through and save the resistance with her and basically completely turn against everything he had been through in the past, like, um, six, ten, whatever years. And basically, hey, just come come and join the resistance and like be on my side of the political aisle, you know, because we happen to agree on this one crucial thing. And it doesn't work like that. It 
it has to be sustained. Even if you have a force connection, you can't change a person immediately. And Charlotte, Caitlin, like you had mentioned um, on Sky Talkers, Kylo has to redeem himself. No one can do it for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can't be right. And it, it shouldn't be her. It has to, I think that in this movie kind of proved that I, that it's it's not anyone's choice but his own. Um, and mm-hmm. he has to make that himself. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what I touched on a little earlier too about episode nine is going to be the chance when we really see who Kylo or Ben Solo is because all of these people who were influencing him negatively um, to a certain degree, like Han and Luke and and Snoke, they're all out of the picture, right. you know, and now he it's he's about to step out on his own for better or for worse. And he's got to make a choice. <laughs> and th- I think that's what we're going to see in episode nine. Yeah. And, and I'm glad we're mentioning that, you know, you can't save people um, from the dark. And uh, this goes for the real world as well. Um, and it's in Star Wars. I mean, Darth Vader was not saved by Luke. <laughs> Luke showed him um, a way out. He showed him a door. Right. And he didn't take the door uh, at first. He didn't take it the second time. But he ended up making the decision himself. Luke was writhing on the floor. Um, Darth Vader, as we used to know him, would have walked away. But Luke showed him another option. And Kylo Ren, I think, is just going to have to be presented that as well. And he has to take that step. You cannot drag people out of that. And I think that goes, again, for people in our own world as well who are lost and wandering in extremism and and hate. Um, You have to show them that there are other ways that they can go. Um, you can't cudgel them over the head uh, with with you know what they should be doing. It just doesn't work that way. That's not how the human animal works. Yeah, not at all. Um, you know, like I'm wondering if we can like round out this conversation with each of us like just talking a little bit about um, how we talk with people generally in our own lives who differ politically from us, just like a couple of senses or something. Would you guys be okay with that? Sure. Sure. I, I'll, mm-hmm. I could probably speak for Caitlin and I both because right, Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So, you know, I'll go first and no matter how inspired I am by Ray and Kylo's dynamic. As we've mentioned in this episode, it is ultimately a space fantasy, an idealized version. And, you know, I personally am finding it increasingly difficult uh, to talk about these issues in a nuanced way without getting personally aggravated. And I'm only able to talk with a few conservative friends, including you, Stephen, you're my best one, um, about what's going on in our country. And I feel like there's so much that we should all be terrified about and we need to set aside our personal biases to unite against. But I, you know, like, again, and I'm speaking as a liberal, I'm speaking as someone with a distinct bias. I like, I'm finding it almost impossible if I want to actually create the change that I want to see to create this compromise. But I do want to strive for that vision that Ray and Kylo offer us in The Last Jedi. I think that there is potential there. I think it's a powerful message that honestly, I believe will resonate and may make people see The Last Jedi as one of the greatest films of all time. I'm going to go right up there. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. seriously, Ray and Kylo offer that model for how we can all do better. And how we can all look past like our own personal fears and biases to actually get constructive change done. 
So, yeah. Sky talkers. Take it yeah, away. I think, Sorry. I, <laughs> I think kind of regardless of where you, whatever your political lean is and, and whatever the issue is, I think we have a tendency to just kind of shout our opinions out there. Mm-hmm. And I think we see Ray do that in the, in the, in the last Jedi, you know, you're a monster. And I think, that's a lesson of what not to do initially. And granted, Ray has good reasons to to say that from The Force Awakens, but kind of spitting this more to the real world. Um, I think if if we were to kind of take a breath and, and count to 10 before, before approaching people with different opinions, I think that would go a long way towards coming to some kind of compromise or at least being able to see to see the reasoning behind someone's differing opinion. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we just have to, (laughs) we've said this on sky talkers before, but it's like, just be nice, you know, just take things with a grain of salt, take a breath, uh, realize when it's time to bow out of a conversation, when you're not changing anyone's mind or adding to anyone's knowledge about something and, uh, know when it's okay to, to mute the conversation as it were and, (laughs) and move on to something else for the day. Totally. Caitlin couldn't have said it better than me, which is funny because I said we'd speak for her. I'd speak for her, but she nailed it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think um, I think for me, something that's so so my kind of my age old fallback in, in trying to do political discourse is just asking questions. Um, you know, letting people talk uh, and sort of try to spell out their thoughts is is generally pretty helpful in trying to ask follow up questions to stuff. Um, and not opining as much on my end as is possible. Um, what I like to try to do uh, now is remember that people are not as ideological uh, as sometimes news and pieces that you read uh, make you think. Um, folks just want to be happy. They want to be comfortable. And not everybody is sitting around uh, reading um, Karl Marx and, and Hayek, uh, and Milton Friedman, like not everybody is an ideologue. Um, politics mm-hmm. for most people is practical uh, and it is really mm-hmm. just about those, those basic issues. So I think for me, just trying to like step away from an academic political background and get back to the basics is something that's always been helpful for me. Uh, and just realizing that there's very few people out there who actually intend malice with their politics. Like there are so few people out there who do not intend malice. I, I would say I probably only know one, <laughs> you know, there's just, there's not that many people out there who fall into that category. And, and the people who do right. are typically off the radar. They're not people who engage. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's my take on it. That's a really great note to round out on. Just be nice and listen. That was such a great conversation, guys. Thank you so much. I feel like we got out so many of our feels here, like our Ray, Kylo, and politics feels, which like they're like the three most controversial topics right now. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Thanks for having us on. (laughs) Our pleasure. But uh, I want to list out our patrons who because of them we are able to do this show and make it the best quality possible so i want to give a thank you to isaiah leslie Tustin lee andrew signer glenn walker connie she sarah strain ej smith justin day jessica shitara sarah smith jared cantor tish wells 
Sean Mahan, and Nick DeCalandria. Thank you all so, so much for your support of the show. It means the world to us, seriously. All right. Great fodders, everybody. Thank you so much for uh, sharing what's been on your mind this week. So we have a listener email this week. Uh, It is from our listener and friend, Mike Harris. And we can all sort of respond uh, to this email as uh, we feel necessary. So he writes, it's well known that Lucas included parallels to current events of the time in the original Star Wars trilogy and continued to do so in the prequel era. So why is it that the parallels to our current time in the sequel trilogy are invoking so much anger and frustration? Certain groups are calling for boycotts, etc. My opinion, and of course I'm biased, is that seeing your particular political persuasion on screen being vilified, and sometimes rightfully so, can't feel very good. And instead of reflecting on this, we're just seeing people double down on it. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Mike Harris. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate you sending that in. Who wants to start? I have some thoughts on this as well. Uh, I want to start political persuasion being vilified. Mike, I love you, man. But was that really in the film? I uh, The Last Jedi discussion just keeps confusing me. That's all. Well, I think uh, Mike might be referring to fascists uh, <laughs> as a fan of black blocs. So, uh, but, but fascists aren't like on the trend or are a majority. And I don't understand. Yeah. You know, so I, I think, I think what, what I see here um, is, and I mentioned this in my, my conversation with Kristen Saltis Anderson last weekend is I think you see in like the fanboy community, like let's, let's like take fascists out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you see like in the fanboy community and you know, the fedora wearing camp who aren't super hyped on Ray. Um, I think you see a recoil from the, the, the sequel trilogy here because of the amount of like really, really loaded political and cultural takes that you see sort of uh, like sh- not shoved in people's faces, but just like all over the internet and in the spaces where people used to occupy that wasn't so political, um, where they're, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a liberal trilogy. It's like a progressive themed movie. It's a feminist icon, this, 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 that, like, I think when people get, like hit with all that stuff and that's not something that they're comfortable with. They just like lash out at the entire thing, even if they liked the movie itself. Like I think politics and the things that make us comfortable in the political space, um, basically is the underpinning of how we even receive things like movies. So like when they're told, uh, the last Jedi and the force awakens is some, you know, like feminist iconography, they're like, Oh, well then I must not like this. And if they hadn't been told that, I think that they would have just like gone along with it because again, like Leia, come on, like this is not new. None of this is new, but the internet and the sort of amount of pieces and things that we get hit with on a daily basis, uh, telling us what these movies are, that is a little bit new. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think you hit the nail on the head. Oh, I did. I felt so mm-hmm. scatterbrained on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you, you totally nailed it. <laughs> if you were, Charlotte and I always tend to be scatterbrained on our show, so we we understood it perfectly because we too are always scatterbrained. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think it's kind of what you said a little bit, Stephen, too, about people forgetting like what's come be- before. And Star Wars both benefits, and I think. Um, 
loses some fans, not loses some fans, but um, it detracts a little bit from the power of the storytelling going on now because I think people you know, when you remember a movie like the Empire Strikes Back or something, you tend to remember only the your favorite parts and you mm-hmm. kind of forget the flaws or maybe the things that weren't so great, the things you didn't love about it. And you kind of tend to view it through rosy glasses. Um, and I think with the Rebels discussion, actually, someone brought up a really good point on Twitter because I know a lot of people aren't such a big fan of, of the mysticism with the force that gets really explored in rebels. Um, and someone was like, Oh man, you know, I wish they like just stuck to rebels, like to the actual rebels and not spending half the show with the, with the force stuff. And someone else was like, Oh, well like in empire strikes back, they basically spent the whole time dealing with the force on Dagobah, even though it was called the empire strikes back. And you would have expected the empire to be playing a much bigger role than it ultimately did in that film. And I think it's just example like that of people kind of forgetting what came before and choosing only to remember their favorite parts um, and letting that kind of inform the things they maybe don't like about the sequel trilogy right now. Totally. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And now we move on to our legendary segment, Bantha Fodder, in which we all discuss whatever is on our minds, Star Wars, politics, or otherwise. Um, Charlotte, Caitlin, as our guests, uh, would you like to go first? Um, in terms of Star Wars, we recently had on Sky Talkers Danny Pirtle, who started a new website called Porgology that kind of examines um, Star Wars creatures through like the ecological lens, and um, it's just a great blog for chronicling like all the different aliens and the creatures. And I learned a lot talking to him about it, so I would recommend visiting that website. That's kind of been on my mind a lot. I've been thinking about that. And there's actually a really good article as I'm I'm speaking about this. I have been thinking about a lot about Rogue One through the ecofeminist Whoa. lens, which is fascinating. Yes. <laughs> Excellent article. Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, I think in in terms of the Star Wars world, I I've been going back, Charlotte and I both have been going back through a lot of the behind the scenes featurettes for Clone Wars. And those have been really fun to revisit some episodes from Clone Wars and seeing things that were set up in Clone Wars that we're now seeing fulfilled in Rebels. And I mean, if anyone has listened to Sky Talkers, you know that we're big fans of the animation department. So we've been hardcore in the animation feels lately (laughs) with Star Wars. Um, as far as real world, uh, I would, I'll put out a book recommendation for my program. I'm getting my master's right now in historic preservation. And for one of my programs on international conservation, um, I had to read a book called Loot, which is all about uh, the antiquities black market and looting of uh, antiquities. Um, and it was really interesting. So talking about what we do about antiquities that were stolen in like the 18th and 19th centuries and are now in like the British museum and the Louvre and, you know, the metropolitan museum of art and things like that. And should they go back to their original countries? So it was a really enlightening read and really interesting. So the book is called loot by Sharon Waxman. So you all should definitely check it out. Yeah. So my reading this past month has been 12 Rules for Living by Jordan Peterson. Um, it's a doozy, let me tell you, goodness. Um, but lots to talk about with this book. It's very controversial and uh, kind of making some waves past couple of months. But one of the themes I thought was interesting in the book that it sort of keeps coming back to is nihilism. It, you know, The spirit of giving up on life, not just your own, but sort of humankind in general. Um, it's sort of the the 
basic summary of, uh, you know, feeling like life sucks and then you die. Uh, and the book calls back every few chapters to the death note and journal of Dylan, Dylan Cowboyd, uh, one of the Columbine shooters. Um, and he wrote a manifesto of sorts rebuking humankind for its sins, declaring it meaningless and basically declaring himself, um, and his, you know, his partner in that shooting, uh, the judge and the jury, um, and it's sort of like, you know, it's for people who think this way, it's like they get themselves into this mindset where they're like, not only the judge and the jury, but they're also like mercy killing, you know, because they've given up on humanity and think that people need to be taken out of it. Um, and this has been heavy on my mind lately, given the latest school massacre carried out by another seemingly carbon copy of those two when it comes to his mindset and perceived lot in life, which is just to suffer. And one of the things I sort of fear most in our society today is the rise of meaninglessness and nihilism in our young people. And you sort of see this coinciding um, with a rise in depression and anxiety and feelings of loneliness, despite how much access we have to one another through technology and what we have been told is us growing closer to one another. And yet people feel further apart uh, and they don't feel like they have purpose and aim in life. And, you know, we have lots of feels, um, you know, about, about guns in this country and kind of what's going on in the, in the aftermath of Parkland. But at the end of the day, this is what drives behavior that leads to mass, uh, tragic events. And unless we come to grips with it at some point and really think about what we're doing in society to drive people, to these dark places, we're never going to truly solve any of our social problems. Suara, what's on your mind this week, man? Well, thanks for the very happy and uplifting fodder. Appreciate it. Uh, um, so, uh, I have a much lighter fodder, uh, which is atypical for me. Like usually I'm talking about something very serious, but uh, yeah, just Star Wars Rebels. Um, well, actually maybe it is a little bit serious because it relates to how we express our opinions and how we engage in discourse on virtually anything and something as subjective as a cartoon that's primarily geared towards children. And, you know, like uh, people looking at my Twitter feed will have seen how I have sometimes gone back and forth on Rebels, how I have uh, criticized Dave Filoni. And I, um, you know, this le latest episode of Rebels was really good. I was really impressed. And but because of like what was what had been sort of informing my point of view of it um, from the political from the discourse I saw on Twitter, I almost called it political discourse because that's what it feels like sometimes it just like made me realize that it was really coloring sometimes how I would view things, how I would view this show that like used to consistently give me a lot of joy. And it came back to give me some more of that joy. As we discussed in the beginning of this episode, spoilers here, you know, the way they brought Ahsoka back, the way they interconnected um, the storyline from Twilight of the Apprentice to what's going on now was really handled great. And but still, I was looking at it with a skeptical eye like while watching it last night because of everything else I had been informed by. I was looking for flaws. I was looking for nitpicks. I basically wasn't letting myself fully enjoy it. I want to go back and watch these episodes again. And I think that there's something to be said for um, the sheer amount of criticism that you may see of something you love in 
uh, the Star Wars uh, community or Twitter community and how exhausting that can be for people who genuinely love the show and everything it does and um, how much it can hurt to like see your friends like uh, continuously like uh, drag it down. But then you also realize on the flip side of that equation of me, I honestly, I'm feeling like the Bendu here, like just in the middle. I like the episode a lot, not necessarily one of my favorites, but I let the, experience of being in the negative camp at times informed my viewing of it and it just got so discombobulated and confusing and i just like want to say to viewers of the things that you love and this can be applied to the last jedi this can be applied to any star wars film this can be applied to any property like watch it view it and love it or dislike it for yourself not for anyone else and just like step back from Twitter, step back from social media, step back from, you know, the varying opinions and the extremes online and ultimately decide for yourself. And like we've been talking about during this episode, take a deep breath before you are going to engage in discourse on it. Or maybe just don't engage on in discourse at all because, you know, it's ultimately going to fade away like a tweet. They fade away. So just like let people enjoy things or don't let people enjoy things and move along. And that'll just be your viewing life. And it'll be really great. That's my fodder. Awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 51 of Beltway Banthas, a conversation on Ray and Kylo's political force discourse. Many props to you, Suara, for the <laughs> wordplay there. Uh, <laughs> such fun. Well, it has been so nice to be joined uh, by Caitlin and Charlotte of the Sky Talkers podcast. Um, you can find them online as well. Um, I want to give you all an opportunity to plug the pod where people can get connected with it and you on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, thank you. Firstly, thank you guys so much for having us on the show again. It was, I know the last time we were on Steven, you weren't here. So it's been great to be able to chat with you on the show too. Um, and of course you too, Swara. Um, but we are, our show is called sky talkers. You can find us on Twitter at sky talkers pod, myself at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte at Crarity. And we have uh, rebels shows that come out called fulcrum files, which go through break down all of the most recent rebels episodes which there's only one left after this week's come out. So that's a little crazy. And uh, we do episodes every other Saturday, which you can find on the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at SwaraSaleh1. That's S-W-A-R-A-S-A-L-I-H-1. You can find a Facebook group of mine called Sounds from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, where we discuss Star Wars and music. And mostly it's me just like posting like really great videos of John Williams uh, to an orchestra and stuff. It's pretty fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter, Beltway Banthas, at Beltway Banthas. And you can find your boy on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent eight nine. That's Stephen with a P H, y'all. Like Stephen Colbert, yeah, yeah, yeah. underscore Kent eight nine. And look forward to talking with you. Um, follow us on. Twitter, like Suara mentioned, and subscribe on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and we are also on Spotify now. So that's kind of cool. You can find us on Spotify um, if you actually get your podcast there. I've not seen many people actually download podcasts there before, but apparently it's a thing. So we look <laughs> forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for listening to Beltway Banthas. We will be back next week with more. Until then, may the force be with you. Always. Always.
Fuzzball.